Customer data infrastructure is a type of tool for saving analytics and information about your customers. The company that is best known in this category is Segment, which is a very popular API company. The customer data is used for making all kinds of decisions around product roadmap, pricing, and design. Rudderstack is a company built around open-source customer data infrastructure. Rudderstack can be self-hosted, allowing users to deploy it to their own servers and manage their data however they please. Sumyadeb Mitra is the creator of Rudderstack, and he joins the show to talk about the space of customer data infrastructure, as well as his own company, Rudderstack. If you have an idea for an episode, whether it's a company or a project that you're working on, you can go to softwaredaily.com and submit a topic. We're always looking for good show ideas, and you can also support the show by becoming a subscriber and getting ad-free episodes and an RSS feed that has all of our back catalog, all more than 1,300 episodes, and it would support us. Thank you for listening. Scaling a SQL cluster has historically been a difficult task. CockroachDB makes scaling your relational database much easier. CockroachDB is a distributed SQL database that makes it simple to build resilient, scalable applications quickly. CockroachDB is Postgres compatible, giving the same familiar SQL interface that database developers have used for years. But unlike older databases, scaling with CockroachDB is handled within the database itself, so you don't need to manage shards from your client application. And because the data is distributed, you won't lose data if a machine or data center goes down. CockroachDB is resilient and adaptable to any environment. You can host it on-prem, you can run it in a hybrid cloud, and you can even deploy it across multiple clouds. Some of the world's largest banks and massive online retailers and popular gaming platforms and developers from companies of all sizes trust CockroachDB with their most critical data. Sign up for a free 30-day trial and get a free t-shirt at cockroachlabs.com sedaily. Thanks to Cockroach Labs for being a sponsor, and nice work with CockroachDB. Sumya Mitra, welcome to the show. Thank you. Glad to be here. The customer data infrastructure space. This space started with the company Segment. Explain what customer data infrastructure is. So think of customer's data infrastructure as a platform which helps companies collect first-party data from all the customer touch points, like whether it's a mobile app or whether it's a website or like a live chat or even backend systems collect all those customer touch points and activities and send it to all the downstream applications where this is needed. So for example, you may want to send that data to Amplitude or some kind of an analytics product so that you can do like product analytics. You may want to send that data to some kind of a marketing automation system like MailChimp so that you can like trigger email campaigns based on customer activities. Like for example, if somebody did something, you want to send them a coupon, like you set up a campaign in MailChimp but to be able to do that, you need to send that trigger event into MailChimp. Similarly, you want to send it to Facebook to like run some kind of a retargeting campaign. And as the company scale up, you also want to get that data into your own data warehouse. And if you have your own recommendation system, you want to like get that event stream into that, right? So what happened was companies were like integrating all these different SDKs. I mean, 
For sending to Facebook, you have an SDK. For sending to MailChimp, you have another SDK and so on. And you also have to build your own backend infrastructure to collect all this data and dump into your warehouse and so on, right? This requires substantial engineering effort. And if you had to add a new, new destination, then you had to go and update the app to like there integrate the new SDK and like figure out what is the event semantics and like it was kind of a pain, right? And engineers never loved, wanted to do that. So it is kind of a brilliant idea from Segment that they kind of find this found this pain point and the, the architecture is instead of sending to all these hundreds of places, you just send it to Segment and Segment can fan it out to all these places, right? I mean, so if you had to add a new destination, it's literally you go to the Segment dashboard and uh, like click on that destination and the events start flowing to that. And over time, they also build like cool features like you can replay events, uh, like take historic events and send it to a new destination and so on. So that's like this whole space is called customer data infrastructure, or like the infrastructure to manage like customer event data. Now, once you have that data, now you can also do like other interesting stuff with that. I mean, you can like create audiences and, and so on, but that's like subsequent, that happened later. Sure, okay, so give a description for how CDI customer data infrastructure fits into the usage of a company. So like if I'm Uber, you know, my customers all have mobile apps, I've got my backend infrastructure. How is this customer data infrastructure abstraction fitting into my workflow? Yeah, so in that case, what you would do is you'd embed the SDK, the Rudderstack SDK, or if you're a segment SDK, into your mobile app. And you will generate events that you care about, right? I mean, if like somebody booked a ride, that's an event. Somebody searched for a place, that's an event. So you instrument your code to generate all these events that you care about, and then you send all these events through the SDK, right? Or the Rudder stack or the segment SDK, you send it to the backend, then you decide where all you want to forward those events, right? I mean, you may only want some events to go to Facebook and only some of the events to go to like MailChimp, but like you, want, you may want all the events in your own S3 data warehouse data lake. So that's kind of what like the customer data infrastructure takes care of. It also defines the event semantics. So like uh, Rudderstack and Segment, that they define the, the structure of the event that you can generate. Like these are the, this is the event type you can do, and these are the properties that should be part of the event. And then there is a mapping, right? I mean, how that structure gets mapped to the event structure that Facebook can consume. So I mean, a Segment kind of did that mapping. And Rudderstack, we are compatible with Segment. So I think Segment did a great job around standardizing the event structure that pretty much like all companies follow now. Okay, very cool. So Segment was the first player in the market to come out. Other players have come out since then. Why do people choose platforms other than Segment? Yeah, so like Segment is a great product. I mean, I've used it, loved it. There are a couple of challenges with like the Segment approach, right? First is, as a data engineer, I wanted to deploy something inside my VPC. I mean, the very standard use case is I want to collect all these events, only a fraction of those events I want to send to cloud, right, Facebook or whatever. But I want to collect everything else and dump into my own data lake, S3, data warehouse, and I want to do analytics on top, right? That's a pretty standard use case. In that case, it kind of felt weird to now send this entire event stream to a cloud application to get a dump into your data warehouse, right? I would have rather hosted something myself. And increasingly, because of the privacy and security regulations, 
I mean, you don't want to send your event stream like cloud applications. I mean, particularly if you have like PII embedded in those events. So that was the first thing. I mean, like a, a software layer which you could deploy inside your own environment, right? The other problem that I found with Segment is like combining multiple data sources. So like Segment is great, right? I mean, for capturing event, you do all the events, you send it to Segment, and they give you like nice tooling on top to create audience segments and you can like set up rules that give me all the people who did event X, but not event Y. And then you can do activation around that. Right? I mean, you can say that send these to some cloud destination. Now, that is enough if you are a small company, but any large, mid to large enterprise, you want to combine the event stream data with other data that you have. So this is a first-hand problem I faced in my previous job at 8x8, where I was trying to put together a customer data platform. And we had the event stream data coming from the apps and so on, but we also had our like backend internal billing system, and we also had our backend internal CRM. So I wanted to combine the event stream data with the other data about the customer to get that complete customer view, right? I mean, because we are like kind of developing applications on top of that data. So it felt like you already have your data warehouse where you're trying to bring everything together. So why do you want to have a segment-like functionality in the cloud? You literally want that functionality on top of your data warehouse. So it's kind of related to the first point, but the idea being like, you control the data, you control the flow of the events, and it's in your environment. So that was the kind of the main driver. Plus, open source felt like, like engineers love open source products, right? People are building open source, their data stack using open source technologies. So it, it felt like this should also be an open source product that you could just deploy in your environment. And the flexibility around it, like if you want internal integrations, you can just like add one because the code is open source. So that was the, the kind of the third driver. So if, if I understand correctly, you're saying that the typical workflow with segment is that I get all my data stored in segment and I'm periodically going to be doing ETL from segment into my data warehouse, doing some stuff in my data warehouse. And in contrast, you're suggesting an approach where the data goes directly into the data warehouse? Yeah. So like you don't have to do the ETL with segment. Segment can give you a dump into your data warehouse, but that's like once in six hours kind of dump. So think about this architecture, right? I mean, so there are two pieces to this puzzle. One is just the piping of events. You collect all the events and you send it to all these destinations, right? For that use case, I think segment is good enough, like the approach, other than the privacy and security implications of separating everything outside. Then comes the second use case of, okay, now you collected all this event data and segment keeps a copy and segment has this product called personas where it, it lets you slice and dice the data. So you can say that, like, give me all the people who have done event X, but not event Y, right? And you can slice and dice that data and like, create audiences, and then you can take actions on those audiences, right? So you can say that, like, give me, like, all the people who came to the checkout page, but did not buy, you will send them to Facebook and run some kind of a campaign. That is the personas product. It gives you a tool to create those audience segments and activate those audience segments. Now, all that is done on top of the event stream data that segment has, right? I mean, you send everything to segment, so it, it knows the user interactions and so on. But in any large company, the event stream is only a part of your data, right? I mean, you, you have a lot more other data about your customers. 
which you don't want to send to segment. Like, I mean, the 8x8 was a good example. We had our billing data about customers and we know how much somebody is paying, how many support tickets they have opened. All that data, for various reasons, it was never sent to a third-party tool. But to create the audience segments that I was talking about, right? I mean, like to create some interesting segments, I'll give you a concrete example. We wanted to find people who are churning and take some action on top, right? To do that, we wanted to combine the event stream data so that we know like what, what are the kind of activities they are doing in the app, like if their activity level has gone down. But we also wanted to bring in the billing data so that we know whether it's like a large enterprise customer or it's like a small and medium enterprise customer, right? That was all in the billing records. And we wanted to combine these two data and take some action on top, right? I mean, you wanted to like send that output to a third-party application, like Gainside in this case, to like take some action, like send them a coupon. So that thing can only be done in your data warehouse because that's where all your data lives. So the complete personas product that segment built, it's not so useful unless that runs on top of the data that is in your data warehouse. And that's what was the other pain point we we're kind of try, trying to solve. It felt like you need to bring the segment-like functionality, whether it's like the data piping, whether it's like the audience creation on top of your data warehouse. There are two ways to add analytics to your application. You can build them yourself with basic charts and dashboards using free open source charting libraries, or you can use a comprehensive analytics platform from a partner that you trust. If you've tried to build it yourself, you know that free actually is not so free. There are hidden costs like time and maintenance and technical debt, and those hidden costs can really add up. Check out Logi Analytics. Logi Analytics is developer-grade embedded analytics solutions, and they make it easy to create branded dashboards and report the scale within your own application. You can stop wasting time piecing together analytics and allow yourself to focus on your core application. You can go to logianalytics.com sedaily, and you can get a demo to see what is possible with Logi today. Go to logianalytics.com slash sedaily. That's L-O-G-I analytics.com slash sedaily. So I want to understand a little bit more what the typical workflow is with regard to segments. So if like somebody's using segments, and for those people who don't know, segment is just this gigantically popular customer data infrastructure product that aggregates tons and tons and tons of data all the time and it gets you know all that data gets saved on segments platform but how do people use segment together with their data engineering stack just give me a little bit more like let's take a step back and and give me a little bit more on the pain points that people typically have with the segment customer data platform so the typical use case is like you, you embed the SDKs in your app, you send it to like segment and you, from there, your marketing team decides what event goes to what destinations. And they also have the personas product you can, through which as I was describing, you can create audience segments. You can say like, not only just send these events, you can also send these users, right? People who have done certain actions, you create those audiences and then you take send those audiences to like let's say Facebook for running a campaign. So that's like the marketing use case. Then there is the engineering use case where you take that event stream and maybe you get, get a dump into your like S3 or your data warehouse 
and you do some analytics on top, right? You run reports on top of that data or you are running some kind of a recommendation engine and like and, and so on. The kind of pain points I've seen for this specific use case, number one is pricing. Like I didn't touch upon that. Like it's priced based on MTUs and like the, by MTU, I mean like monthly unique users. And if the unique user economics varies a lot from product to product, if you are a B2B company, you have a lot few users and they are much more valuable. If you are a free game or like a, like a publisher, for example, I mean, your per unit economics are much lower. So that is one of the main pain points around like segment that we come across again and again. The other thing is the sending everything to the cloud is the other thing I talked about, right? I mean, if your majority of the use case is to get the data into your own environment, like whether it's S3 or like or your own data warehouse, and it, it kind of feels weird to like send everything, pipes every, everything out to a third party vendor and then get it back into your VPC, particularly because of all the regulations now. I mean, you have to be really careful about what you embed in the events and so on. On the other hand, if you are just getting it inside your VPC straight into like, a, then you don't have to worry about those things. So these are, I think, the two engineering pain points and the marketing pain point as I was describing was the, the fact that the persona's audience creation works well when you only care about the event data. The moment you care about other data, it kind of becomes like tricky. Right. Okay. So, you know, the customer data is super sensitive. That's that's one of the points you mentioned. And having greater control over where the customer data gets shuttled to is pretty desirable. So I'm sufficiently compelled by your product statement at this point. And for those who, who aren't following, what you're building with Rudderstack is an open source segment uh, alternative. I mean, it, it's more than that, but it's that's kind of, I think, the core, in a nutshell, use case. So if this is an open source tool, you can talk about the architecture. Give an overview for what the Rudderstack architecture looks like. Yeah, so we have this control plane, data plane separation. So think of the control plane as the layer where you go and configure everything. Like you set up your sources, your destinations. We have some things called transformations. You manage your users. That's all happens in the control plane. Then we have this data plane through which all the events flow through. So, and the data plane kind of takes care of like the persisting the events, like it's sending to the destinations, handling failures, managing event ordering, all that is handled in the data plane. And we also have this notion of transformations through which the, the structure of the event can be changed that is flowing through the, the data plane. So the transformation runs in the data plane. One example of a transformation is like the, so you, you get an event in the rudder format, you want to send it to Google Analytics. So you have to convert that into a format that Google Analytics handles. So that is also implemented as a transformation. And we also allow users to define their own transformations. So they can structure, modify the event structure post hoc. So I mean, it's particularly useful if you have like mobile SDKs and like you want to change some event after the app has been shipped. All that can be done in the transformation. So these are the three main building blocks in the control plane, the data plane, and the transformation layer, which runs in the data plane. Okay. And I think the place to start as we're walking through this is a client SDK. So Uber, for example, you get the Uber app, it's on your phone. There is probably some SDK in there that's logging user events and understanding how the user is interacting with the platform to gather data and to make more intelligent offers to that user. 
And similarly, you have a client SDK, the Rudderstack SDK. So if if I'm building my ride-sharing competitor to Uber, I may want to have customer data infrastructure because I'm going to want to track my customers in the same way that Uber does. So I have this client SDK, and I can write events in my client code. So like in my Uber client, I can say every time a user you know, opens the Uber app, I want to create an event that says, you know, user opened app. And then I want to send it to my Rudderstack backend so I have a record of this event. Now, this becomes a really interesting architectural problem because if I'm scripting a ton of events, like if I'm just, a user opens a, you know, highly interactive app, they're scrolling, they're clicking, they're swiping, they're closing the app, they're opening the app back up. There's all these events that, that you could generate. You know, you could continuously send those events to your back end, or you could buffer them. You could have them sit on the client for a little bit and then send them in bursts back to the server. You've got all these options for how to architect it. Tell me about how you have architected the client SDK. Yeah, so it's exactly what you said. The client SDK buffers events for some time. They are persisted in a local SQLite database. And once it reaches a threshold or a timeout expires, like we send the events once every 10 seconds. So, and that is configurable. Those events, whatever happened in those 10 seconds, or if it exceeds like more than 100 events, that's when those events are sent to the rudder backend. And the client SDK handles retries and so on. So for whatever reason, if the backend could not be reached, it, it got an error back, it'll keep the events for longer and then retry again and so on. So like the SDKs are pretty straightforward in their error handling. What about a high volume situation like a game? Like in a game, I can imagine just generating so many events that it would create some some interesting problems. Is that a reality? I mean, so to be honest, that's a fair point. I mean, particularly if you are on a desktop game where you don't worry about network bandwidth, you could possibly be generating a lot of events. But technically, the same architecture would work. I mean, like you are persisting the events in a local store, and once enough, it's kind of like a circular buffer, right? You st- once you hit some threshold, you start pushing it out to the server side. On the mobile games, I mean, generally people don't instrument like gazillion events anyway to like not not to overload the customer's bandwidth. So like the SDK side has not been a problem. Although on the server side, you still need to handle all those events, right? You have like millions and millions of users and all of them can be hitting the server. So you have to handle all those scale challenges on the server side. And particularly because we are an open source product. I mean, people are deploying it in their environment. So it's not a service that we are offering that we can manage to scale up and down. So we had like to solve some interesting problems around that. Okay. So on the back end, you have this rudder control plane and a rudder data plane. And we've already talked through the client SDK. So there's lots of events coming off the client and they're hitting your back end. You've got this control plane and the data plane. What do the control plane and the data plane do? Think of the control plane is the dashboard where you configure the, the rudder stack, right? So you configure the sources, the destinations, the API keys for all the destinations and like the right keys and all that stuff, right? So it's a configuration window, like no event flows through the control plane. Then the actual events flow through the data plane. And what the data plane first does is it pulls the config from the control plane. So it knows where all the events have to be sent to, what are their credentials, what are the API keys and so on, right? And it keeps pulling that data. The data plane is the software layer which is handling all the events, right? It, it gets the event from the client SDK. It immediately persists it in some kind of a buffer, right? So think of it as like a Kafka kind of stream, although we don't use Kafka, 
but like ignoring that aspect think of it as like okay, some kind of a streaming layer it persists the event in that streaming layer and then it gives an act to the client saying that okay now the event has been persisted you can delete the event then it does the processing the, the kind of processing i was talking about it takes the event and it calls the user transformation to transform the event according to what the user wants, right? If, if he wants to remove some fields or add more fields, there are all kinds of interesting transformations people have written. Uh, like PII scanning is a very common transformation. So it goes to the user transformation. It comes back with the, the transformation function returns another event. Then it calls the destination transformation. So now the event has to be sent to like, let's say 10 destinations. It calls the destination transformations to map the event to the structure the destination expects. It could be a key value, it could be an XML. All that is handled in the destination transformation. And we have transformation code for like all the 40 odd destinations we support. And then it comes back to the data plane. And now the data plane has to like send that transformed event to the destination, right? So it has to take care of failures. The failures may, may happen for various reasons, right? The destination may be down, it may be throttling, all that is handled by the code data plane. So that's like the typical flow of an event through the data plane backend. Now, this is a single node architecture. Now, we also have a multi-node architecture. If you want to scale like to billions of events, then you have to like, single node may not be enough. That's why you need a multi-node. And I mean, I can get into the details, but that's like slightly more involved than the, the, the single node, but that's like the typical simple flow. The multi-node situation, does that just happen when I have lots and lots of routes, or I have different geos, or I have, I mean, tell me more about the, the multi-node deployment. Yeah, so there are a couple of reasons you may need multiple redundant nodes, right? One is the pure event volume. I mean, typically our single node can handle from 1500 to 3000 events per second. And if you need more than that, you set up another node, right? So that's like the, the most common use case. The other use case is high availability. You may want a if your single node goes down, I mean, you may want a spare node running immediately, right? I mean, so that's like the other reason. Multi-geo is also an interesting use case. We don't have a multi-geo architecture yet, but you could imagine that the same thing, like if your users are all over the place, you may want to like deploy a rudder node in each geo closer to your users. And you may have like a cross-geo AWS deployment. So you may want to like run multiple rudder nodes in each of those geos. So that, that that's an, another use case. At a very high level, the multi-node architecture is very simple. I mean, you have these users, events, and you can just send it to any of those nodes, right? They are just processing. There is no dependency between events. The only dependency is between events from the same end user. So if I am an end user of Uber, and I'm sending all these 10 events, I don't want my all the 10 events to go to different nodes because that might break the ordering of the events. So, I mean, you have to do some user based routing. But other than that, it's pretty parallelizable, if that makes sense. It does. So there's a cloud-hosted version, and then there's the on-prem version. So the cloud-hosted version, so do you offer like a, is it a SaaS that multiple tenants are using, or do you spin up an entire instance of the whole customer data infrastructure stack for each individual customer or each individual uh, company that, that uses the platform? Yeah, so we have actually two versions of that. Like one is the SaaS kind of version where we have only one instance of Rudder running. And we have that mostly for demo. Anyone who set up, sets up for a free trial and he wants to just, he doesn't want to deploy the whole thing. He can try the free trial version. And that is a single Rudder handling everyone. Then for our 
paid customers, we spin up a separate Rudder instance. So, and we are Kubernetes native. So like we have a Kubernetes cluster and we spin up a separate set of pods per customer. So we create a separate namespace per customer and that's how we handle customer data. So they're pretty isolated from each other. Got it. So the on-prem deployment situation, how do people typically deploy Rudder stack on-prem? So we have like all the different kind of deployments we have seen, right? We have people who are deploying Rudder on like and bare instances, right? They'll spin up AWS instances and like deploy Rudder there. We have also people like just setting up on Docker, uh, like EKS or something. What we generally recommend is do Kubernetes because all the multi-node scale up, scale down, uh, everything we are doing through Kubernetes operators. So if you need one node of Rudder or if you don't want all those like advanced multi-node features, either of them would, we, would work. And we have like scripts for all of them. Uh, we have Terraform scripts and Docker images and so on. But like the typical multi-node deployment, we generally recommend Kubernetes. Okay. I'd like to talk a little bit more about ETL and data warehousing. So let's revisit this. When people are using Rudder Stack, are they typically doing ETL out of your backend and into a data warehouse? So, I mean... The backend does not keep any state. So the, there is no ETL. I mean, the events are coming to the backend. We store for some time, like because you don't want to send individual events to your data warehouse because of cost and so on. I mean, you, we batch for half an hour and then we load all that into your data warehouse. So there is no like separate ETL process you need to do. Like we are the transfer layer. We are transferring the events into your data warehouse. Okay, got it. So on the front of usage of data warehouses do you have a any breakdown of customers like who is using snowflake versus redshift versus bigquery like what are the data warehouse breakdowns for people that are using redder stack so i can talk about the across our paid deployments or people who have interacted with i would say like it's almost like equally split between snowflake and redshift and like maybe 10% BigQuery. That's about like people we have kind of interacted with. But think like we are also an open source product, right? So we have like a lot of deployments like where we don't know, we have never interacted with the person. So, I mean, I, I, I don't know what's happening there, but at least for the conversations we have had with customers, I think that's the typical breakdown. Right. And the fact that people could bring their own data warehouse, that brings up the point of, of actually integrations, which I forgot to discuss with you a little bit earlier, like all these CDI platforms. So you've got uh, Segment and there's Imparticle and there's probably a few others and then RudderStack as well. All of these platforms have so many integrations. Like you want to integrate with Marketo and MailChimp and all these different things because when an event happens in one of these systems, you oftentimes want to log it to your customer data infrastructure platform. Tell me more about keeping up with all those integrations that seems tough yeah that's a fair point and i mean i'm sure like segment has a complete infrastructure around that like the testing all this infrastructure like in integrations and a big team around that like we are a small company i think that's something we have to like improve on and so on generally the, the apis don't change too much i mean of all the integrations i've worked with i think facebook is probably the worst i mean and they have gotten better now i mean earlier they used to like ship and new version every six months, nine months. But otherwise it's not like they change their APIs too much. And as long as you subscribe to their newsletters and so on, you get an update. So, but yeah, it's a ongoing thing, like keeping up with all the integrations. 
The good thing though is there is always the 80-20 rule, right? I mean, like your top 20 or 30 integrations probably take care of 80% of your customer's usage. So as long as you are very good at those top 30, 40, you would be fine for most of your customers. The other thing that I've seen is uh, like thanks to Segment, like they have kind of standardized the event structure, right? I mean, they have said that these are the way events should be generated and so on. So a lot of the new age SaaS tools, they kind of conform to the segment structure, right? I mean, they, they kind of take the same set of events. So it's not like, so the building an integration for them is actually much easier than like an old school, like Salesforce or Marketo or something like that. And there's integrations here in, in two places, as far as I can tell. So you have the integrations for the MailChimps and the Marketos and whatnot, and those are basically the the ways that people are using Rudder on the front end. But then you also have to integrate with, I assume, the legacy data warehouses. Like, do you have to integrate with Teradata or, you know, name your other legacy data warehouse, or do people just figure out their own ways of shuttling data there? Yeah, I mean, nobody has asked for Teradata integration, but... I'm sure we'll run into that at some point. So far, we only support Redshift and Snowflake and the BigQuery and the cloud versions of it. But like, I mean, I would imagine Teradata or some of those would kind of be the same. I mean, you, you, everyone supports some way of batch loading files into them, right? I mean, you, you dump sure. it. Yeah, and so we'll probably have to just work around that. Sure, fair enough. Software Engineering Daily has over 1,000 episodes with lots of interviews with engineers from Google, Facebook, Uber, and lots of other engineering companies. We also have interviews with investors. We have interviews about the philosophy of technology and culture and strategy around starting a software business. You can find all of our episodes in the Software Engineering Daily app for iOS and Android. These apps have all of our episodes sorted and searchable and easy to find in categories with related links and commenting features. You can see our greatest hits, the most popular episodes that have stood the test of time. And if you don't want to hear advertisements, you can become a paid subscriber for $10 per month or $100 per year. Just go to softwareengineeringdaily.com slash subscribe. We have put a ton of work into building the apps for Software Engineering Daily. We're creating the best listening experience for our users. And you can check it out today by downloading the Software Engineering Daily app from the iOS or Android App Store. And I'd love to get any feedback you have on the apps or the show. You can always email me at jeff at softwareengineeringdaily.com. Thank you for listening. So tell me about the open source ecosystem. Is it mostly work from engineers at Rudderstack itself, or are there a lot of contributors from other companies? It has been mostly engineering from Rudderstack itself. And we got a couple of contributions on the integration side, like somebody added Minio support and so on, but not beyond that. But again, like I mean, we are just a like five, six-month-old project, so... So building a community takes time and effort, right? I mean, that's something we have to do a better job, but it's also a matter of time. So hopefully integration is something I do hope that we'll get some community contribution. And the other is transformations. We'll see how it happens. I did see a contribution from the Mattermost CTO. This brought up something interesting because Mattermost is the open source Slack alternative. 
and I could imagine it being pretty useful if if you want to build an open source tool that bundles in a customer data infrastructure platform, well then you could you could use Rudderstack and just have that bundled in. Yeah, I mean, I've been trying to reach out to some popular open source projects around integrate Rudderstack to collect your users' data. And I've kind of had mixed responses. Like some open source contributors say, like, we don't want to collect any customer data at all. I mean, I, that's <laughs> right. what I, so it's kind of like, yeah, I mean, and, and some people really love it. Like it makes total sense. So you mentioned the community transformations contributions. So explain what a transformation is. So think of a transformation as a function that gets executed as the events are flowing through Rudder, right? So the event comes to the data plane. First, a user transformation is called. And inside the user transformation, you can do anything on that event structure, right? Like you can, for example, remove fields and like add fields and so on. And then that is passed to the destination transformation, which converts it to the destination structure, right? So that's the typical flow. Now, we have seen like very interesting use cases on the user transformation, the first layer. I mean, one typical use case is PII scanning. Sometimes your events have like PII, like either on purpose or you accidentally embedded. Like some engineer forgot to like put, like remove PIIs when they are generating the event, like email gets in. But you don't want all those PIIs to flow into your data warehouse. And you definitely don't want it to go to like cloud sources. Like Google Analytics strictly prohibits PII flowing into them. Now you can do that in the Rudder transformation. Like it's, it's a function and we, it's on the GitHub repo. It scans, looks for standard PII structures, right? Emails and phone numbers in the whole event. And if it finds something, it removes that, right? So that's like one common transformation. Other transformations people have done is like general event structure change, right? I mean, you have the full name in the event, but your destination expects like first name and last name. You split the name into first name and last name inside your event so that you don't have to change the app. Another very common transformation is like filtering. Like a lot of the downstream applications, like in any analytics product, they charge you by the volume of events. But... If you are doing analytics, you don't have to do it on the 100% of the data. I mean, if you can sample it down to 10%, your analytics reports would probably be the same. And that can be implemented as a transformation. You can like randomly sample events before they are sent to some destination. So that way, you can keep all the events in your S3 bucket, but you can also send a fraction of the events to some cloud destination and save a lot on, like, on that cost. So these are again like some transformations people have used and I kind of like, I mean, we, we, we are creating that repository of like transformations we have signed, kind of seen from our users as well as our internal usage. So the transformations, they're typically happening on the client side or on the server side? It is happening on the Rudder backend. So the clients send the events to the backend and that's when the transformation function is called to change the structure of the event. And that's why it, it becomes powerful because particularly on a mobile world, you ship, like your app is shipped and your events are fixed, right? I mean, at that point, like changing any event structure requires you to like send another update, right? But with the transformation, you can do the change on the rudder backend side. So you don't have to wait for like a new updated version. So simple changes, like if you forgot to split the name into first name, last name, that you can do like post hoc on the rudder backend. So... Are you thinking of yourself mostly as an open source segment or have you strategically diverged in any other way? I mean, we think ourselves as an open source CDI and yeah, segment started the space, 
but I think over time we are getting pulled into a very different use case, right? I mean, like we are trying to build the product which engineers love. So open source is one part of it, but other things like deployment flexibility, right? You can deploy on Kubernetes cluster inside your VPC. We have like Grafana dashboards around the performance of the events and the, the whole backend. Like things generally engineers love. Integrations, like we have a lot more deeper integrations. For example, we integrate into Kafka, which uh, Segment doesn't have and, and so on. So like we are trying to build the product for an engineering persona. And again, we are too like early in the journey, we'll learn and so on. But like just the fact that we are focused on that persona and those use cases, not so much the marketing use cases will, I think will take us in a very different journey than what uh, segment is uh, going through. Interesting. So deployment flexibility, what does that look like in, in practice? What are the deployment pain points and what kinds of, what's the matrix of different deployment options you want to offer people? I mean, if you want to bet heavily on Kubernetes, like that's most on the platform layer, but even there, I mean, the fact that you could Start with a hosted rudder. I mean, I don't have the engineering team, so I, I'll let rudder manage the backend. But if tomorrow I want to take it over, it's literally like take down the Kubernetes cluster, take down the namespace and bring it up here. So in like in five minutes, you can like the, move the whole infrastructure from us to them, right? In your VPC, you have more control, like those kind of things. And plus we do support other deployment options also, right? I mean, we are an open source and like people have changed we are a hem, hem thing, like, but somebody ported it to EKS and, and so on, like other kind of Kubernetes environments. All that is possible, again, because of the open source nature. So that is what I meant by broadly deployment flexibility. When I mean, you can deploy in Rudder in whatever environment you are running your stack. Got it. What's your perspective on how the landscape of customer data infrastructure is going to change in the next few years? Yeah, I mean, that's a great point. So even Segment doesn't use the term CDI anymore. I mean, like they call themselves CDP, like a customer data platform. And all the M particles of the world, they also call themselves a customer data platform. And if you look at the customer data platform space, they're not just these three vendors, but they're like probably 100 odd other vendors who call themselves CDP. And the Uber idea is still the same. You want to bring every customer interaction into some kind of a single place like whether it's events, whether it's like the billing data I talked about, like every everything that you know about that customer, you bring into a one single place and you take actions based on that, right? It could be a simple action based on the activity they have done. It could be complicated ML pipelines, which predict whether a customer is churning based on all their activ activations and so on, right? And then you take some action. So that's where like everybody is trying to go to, like the holy grail of customer data platform. It's kind of like an evolution of the CRM, right? If you think about Salesforce, like that was the customer data platform. Like you were creating all your customer records in Salesforce, except that nobody was sending event data to Salesforce. Like Salesforce is just your customer record and maybe you have like your ticketing system and all that stuff. The event data and kind of makes it interesting. You don't send that to these kind of old age CRMs. And that's where all the new age CDPs come in. And that was my first point. I mean, like, so I think the evolution has been like, go from the sales CRMs of the world to these new age CDPs, but they are still SaaS services, right? I mean, you send everything to like Segment or MParticle or pretty much all the other CDPs. You send everything to them and you create your customer record in their platform, right? And they keep all the data and they give you all the tooling to create audiences and all the things I was talking about, right? So that's the next phase of like CDP. What I believe is larger enterprises will want to own this stack. I mean, 
you don't want to create your entire customer profile on a third-party SaaS solution. You want to like bring it on to your data warehouse. Like you already have your data warehouse, you're bringing in all the data. Right? And if you look at, there were Teradata and now all the snowflakes of the world are like just like exploding. That's your platform where you want to bring all this data. And that's where we want to play in. Like as I was saying earlier, right? I mean, build the customer profile in your data warehouse and we'll give you the tools to get the data into your data warehouse and create all these audiences. Maybe downstream, we'll also build these ML models to create predict churn and so on. So we'll give you the tools, but the data stays on your data warehouse. So that's, I think, how the world will evolve around CDP. Very interesting. Well, Sumit, what are the difficult engineering problems you're working on right now? Two things I would say, like the multi-node is like, I mean, we have one version of the multi-node which doesn't have auto-scaling and so on. Going from a single node to multi-node like is pretty hard and we have a fairly small team. So that's like the, one of the main engineering things we are working on. Of course, like they're like long tail of features, like, I mean, single sign on and all those stuff on the control plane. The other thing is like the integrations that you brought up. I mean, adding an integration is easy. We have kind of made it a framework, but the challenge is like, how do you like test these integrations in an ongoing fashion? Right? I mean, if you miss something like, and that's where some of these destinations don't even give you an error. Like if you send a random junk to Google Analytics, it will still send you 200 okay. Now, how do you make sure that like that is actually working? And so you have to literally go to the dashboard and see that the event showed up on the dashboard. So all integrations and continuous testing of integration is something we haven't done a lot about, but that's something we need to solve. Okay, well, Sumya, thank you for coming on the show. It's been great talking to you about Rudderstack. Thanks for having me. It was really nice talking to you. Over the last few months, I've started hearing about Retool. Every business needs internal tools, but if we're being honest, I don't know of many engineers who really enjoy building internal tools. It can be hard to get engineering resources to build back office applications, and it's definitely hard to get engineers excited about maintaining those back office applications. Companies like DoorDash and Brex and Amazon use Retool to build custom internal tools faster. The idea is that internal tools mostly look the same. They're made out of tables and dropdowns and buttons and text inputs. Retool gives you a drag and drop interface so engineers can build these internal UIs in hours, not days. And they can spend more time building features that customers will see. Retool connects to any database and API. For example, if you want to pull in data from Postgres, you just write a SQL query. You drag a table onto the canvas. If you want to try out Retool, you can go to retool.com slash sedaily. That's R-E-T-O-O-L dot com slash sedaily. And you can even host Retool on-premise if you want to keep it ultra-secure. I've heard a lot of good things about Retool from engineers who I respect, so check it out at retool.com slash sedaily.